Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You are locked on the NBA. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It is Locked On NBA. I'm David Locke, host of Locked On NBA, radio voice for the Utah Jazz, founder of Locked On Podcast Network, Western Conference, mid-season report number one, and the big boys are all here to show today. Warriors, Spurs, Rockets, one, two, and three in the West, all going to be represented. The Suns, the Thunder, the Pelicans, and the Blazers as well. All the hosts of the Locked On Podcast Network will be giving you a breakdown of their team. I asked all of them a similar set of questions for you, and we'll get their analysis and their answers uh, to the big questions. What are the storylines this season? Who's overachieved? Who's underachieved? Are you buyers or sellers of the trade deadline? And what's a success in the second half of the season? And if you are buyers or sellers, what are you trying to get done? The Locked On Podcast Network produces daily 15 to 22 minute podcasts on your favorite team. If you have not already found your favorite Locked On, please do so. They exist for the NBA as well as the NFL. There's a national show on the NFL with Matt Williamson and a fabulous NFL draft show as well, Locked On NFL Draft. So please subscribe to those as well. Today's show is brought to you by Blue Apron as well as Indochino Blue Apron. If you have not tried it yet, put it on your list of things to do because Blue Apron changes the dining experience in the most fabulous ways. The number one fresh ingredient recipe delivery service in a country for a reason. Promo code is LOCKNBA, L-O-C-K. NBA, uh, and you get your first three meals for free. And Indochino, made-to-measure suits, will change your absolute feeling. Last night, I had on a pair of pants that were just the worst. I just, I don't know what happened. They couldn't be worse. I've thrown them out, actually, since they were so bad, and that's what you just never have to worry about uh, when you're working with Indochino and you have these made-to-measure fabulous suits. Uh, I'll tell you more about them. But let's get going. Thank you to Indochino. Thanks to our sponsors. Really, we can do these shows for free. The spot, thank, if you can support the sponsors, it means everything to us. So appreciate that. Um, a, a great deal. All right, let's, uh, let's get it rolling. We're going to start with the big boys, the Warriors, right on top. Let's find out what they have to say. Danny LaRue, who you know from Dunked on Pop, uh, Basketball as well, hosts our daily Locked On Warriors show, and he gives a breakdown on the Warriors. Hi, this is Daniel LaRue of the Locked On Warriors podcast, and as many of you know, this has been a very eventful and will continue to be eventful year for the Golden State Warriors. The number one storyline so far is the same one it has been and will be for the rest of the regular season, which is, are they on pace to be the best team in the NBA in early to mid-June? Because that is how this team's success is defined and, and everything else like that, and So far, they're reasonably along. I mean, there's still a lot of work that needs to be done integrating Kevin Durant, figuring out the the crunch time offense. But 
there have been moments on both offense and defense when you could see just how potent, how dangerous this Warriors team can be. So they're making progress, but they haven't gotten all the way there, even though they have the league's best record. So that is still the number one thing worth watching. In terms of who's been better and worse than expected, it's interesting because the Warriors have so much in terms of holdovers. I would say people have been better. Ian Clark has really established himself in terms of a a low-end rotation role, which was a surprise considering he barely got off the bench last year. Also, Zaza Pachulia, after a rough start, has been a lot better than than I anticipated in terms of defense and being a consistent force on the offensive boards. So I would say he's been better now, but he was worse than expected early in the year. In terms of other worse than expected, I think I'd probably have to go with Kevon Looney. He just hasn't established himself in that same way that Ian Clark did. And there would be a role for another power forward, not a big one because Coach Kerr has been using Durant in that role, but still a place if he could earn it, there's a place for Kevon Looney and he hasn't really done that yet. The Warriors are definitely not sellers at the trade deadline. I'm not completely sure that they're buyers, and that gets into the idea not of necessity. They could certainly add talent, but because they do not have much in the way of assets. They have a few second-round picks traded away over the next couple years. They also owe their first-round pick this year to the Utah Jazz in a trade that was years ago, which was how they cleared the cap space to get Andre Guadalla. So they can't trade their first-round pick to, to make any of this happen. So the expectation is that the Warriors are buyers in mentality, but likely will be buyers on the buyout market as opposed to on the trade market. I mean, if the right move came along, they certainly could approach it, but they won't use that. And also the Warriors don't have much in the way of other assets because they're players that cost money, you know, because that's the other way you can do it is you can trade players. The players that make salaries are all guys that they, they want to keep ideally. So Iguodala, Sean Livingston, you know, they're, they're not the central parts of this team, but they're still important. And so if they had to be used as salary in a trade, you're going to have to get somebody very specific back. So look for them more on the buyout market. Not exactly sure who that will be at this point, but it will be somebody because it's always somebody. And the Warriors, the Cavs, the Clippers, whoever else has both roster spots and potential playing time and possibility of playoff success. Those teams will be serious contenders for those players whenever they come. And the in terms of like who the Warriors would want to, what they would want to get and what they would want to move, they could use talent everywhere. The Warriors are in a strange place because they have a lot of high-end guys, you know, four, four potential all-stars who are all prime or near prime, and then other support players, Pachulia and Iguodala, who are good. So they don't have this necessity for anything, but a rim-protecting center would help a lot. Another point guard to more man the garbage time minutes to do that. And a high upside forward, whether that be somebody who's bouncy and can run the floor, kind of like a small forward power forward, JaVale McGee, that would be nice to have. But really any sort of talent, if you have somebody who can play 10 to 15 minutes a game and is on the buyout market, the Warriors should consider that person, especially considering they have roster spots in Anderson Verjao and James Michael McAdoo, which are not used intensely well at the moment. So the Warriors do have space to, to fill those guys, even if they can't pay a ton in terms of salary, because they already used their uh, room mid-level exception on Zaza Pachulia. So all they have are minimum contracts unless they trade somebody, and I don't expect them to do that because... They don't have the other assets to add in, and they like their guys. The key for the second half of the season to call it a success is arguably easier for the Golden State Warriors than 
any other team in the NBA, even than the Cavs, because the Cavs won the title last year, which is win the championship. If the Warriors win the championship, the season is success. If they do not win the championship, the season is not a success. That is not generally the way that I like to think about things. I, I, I focus more on, on process and, and everything like that. But the fact of the matter is the Warriors are the best team in the NBA. They did not win the championship last year. They added one of the best players in the league. And if they don't win the championship, barring something completely crazy like injuries or something like like a serious injury, the season will not be considered a success. And I think a lot of people, maybe even including those in the organization, wouldn't even count a mitigating factor like an injury in that sense. It's, it's title or bust. So it will be an absolute blast to watch the Warriors the rest of the year. They are a consistently interesting team, which you would not necessarily expect for a franchise that is as talented and talent-rich. But they have fascinating games all the time. Those who watched when they lost to Memphis, that's a good example of it. They just are consistently fascinating. Still integrating great players and a new challenge for Curry and Clay and Draymond and everyone else to involve not only Durant, but David West and Zaza Pachulia and everything else. And they're getting there, but they're not all the way there. So lots to watch for the Warriors. And if you're interested in listening to it, you can check out Locked on Warriors anytime you want whatever podcast player you like. And again, I am Danny LaRue. You can follow me on Twitter at Danny LaRue, D-A-N-N-Y-L-E-R-O-U-X. But I hope you check out Locked on Warriors. Danny recorded that before the incredible win over Cleveland the other night, but it doesn't change the story of who the Warriors are. Uh, Their margin of victory is getting bigger every game. They're clicking. It's going to be quite a run. And Danny uh, does a super show, even if you're not a huge Warriors fan. He just does great work. Uh, I was actually in Phoenix yesterday and saw the Phoenix Suns. That's a team that has won four of their last nine. They've beat the Toronto Raptors and the uh, San Antonio Spurs in that span. Their offensive rating has been over 110 in each of their last six games. Bledsoe is rolling, and Booker's on another planet. There are a lot of good things going on with Earl Watson's team right now, so let's get a check-in with Kellen Olsen, part of the Locked On Sun show you can get each and every day here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello there, my name is Kellen Olson. I am the host of Locked On Suns. I am joined every weekday by my co-host, Eddie House. Eddie obviously offers a tremendous perspective, spending time in the NBA over a decade, in fact. He played with the big three in Miami, LeBron, James, Dwayne, Wade, and Chris Bosh. That has come up on our podcast, and we always discuss that, as well as his time in Boston when he won a championship with the likes of Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce. So obviously, he offers a different perspective than your typical blogger person like myself so to keep track of us make sure to follow me on twitter that is at kellen olson k-e-l-a-n-o-l-s-o-n and the podcast is at locked on phx suns we tweet out the podcast every weekday we come at you the number one storyline for the suns currently is that they are a very bad basketball team in year seven of a playoff drought and it doesn't appear that they are going to be improving a ton anytime soon so the question is now what do they do They have veterans such as Tyson Chandler, Leander Barbosa, and Jared Dudley. They have Eric Bledsoe currently in his prime, surrounded by a lot of youth. Devin Booker, TJ Warren, Braden Knight is still only 25 years old. Tyler Eulis, Draken Bender, and Marquise Chris, of course, were selections in this year's draft. They also have P.J. Tucker, who could be an enticing option for a playoff team around the trade deadline. So the question is, does the team completely rebuild again, or do they try to still keep some or most of this team, I should say, and still try to make the playoffs next year or the year after, because they certainly did not think they were going to be this bad. They are near the bottom of the Western Conference at 13-27. and 
The player that has been better than expected has been Tyson Chandler. Now, I saw a comeback season for Tyson Chandler happening, but I didn't see him being one of the best rebounders in the NBA. Chandler's averaging 12.1 rebounds a game. He's in the top five in the league in terms of rebounding percentage, and he went from someone whose contract was thought of as trash and really unmovable to a guy that a lot of teams would be interested in. Reportedly, there are teams interested already in Chandler, such as the Portland Trailblazers. In fact, last summer, Earl Watson revealed in November that he did have an opportunity to be traded. And now the question is, do the Suns move him with Alex Len entering restricted free agency this summer? The player that has been worse than expected has been Brandon Knight. Knight went from the starting guard alongside Eric Bledsoe to the sixth man, but now Knight is only playing 22.3 minutes per game. Now that might not seem as a big deal to you, but when I tell you this, it will be. Brandon Knight averaged over 32 minutes a game in his career heading into the season, and he started in over 96% of his games in his career up to this point. So it was a big move already for Knight to be moving to the bench, and now being in situations when he doesn't even play that much, plays under 20 minutes a game. It's really been a drastic change, but that has been because Brandon Knight has played terrible this year. He has the lowest total plus-minus in the league. He has one of the worst net ratings in the league. He has overall just been a disaster this year. But there are teams, I, I really do believe this, the teams still believe that he can be good. He hasn't really been a point guard here, and he was a pretty good one in Milwaukee. So we'll see what happens with Brandon Knight in the next month or so heading to the trade deadline. The Phoenix Suns are absolutely sellers at the upcoming trade deadline. They've got the aforementioned veteran pieces of Tyson Chandler and P.J. Tucker that some playoff teams could use. But also, is this the time for them to move Eric Bledsoe? Bledsoe's averaging 20 points, 5 rebounds, and 6 assists per game. Not a lot of guys do that in today's NBA. Average at least 25 and 5. Of course, he is still only one of the 15 to 20 best point guards in the NBA. His defense isn't what it used to be, and he's coming off of two knee surgeries. So who knows how high his value is. But... The Suns are probably not going to be a playoff team when he is in his prime. He's probably going to be exiting his prime as the Suns are starting to become a good team with this upcoming core of Bender, Chris Booker, and whoever they pick in this year's draft. And speaking of this year's draft, it has a lot of point guards and a lot of good point guards. So is this the time for the Suns to move on from Bledsoe, select a point guard in this year's draft, and really reset the rebuild? We'll have to wait and see. If the Suns are targeting any player in this upcoming trade deadline, it's a young player that can fit with that core that I mentioned earlier. But they're probably not going to get that for P.J. Tucker or Tyson Chandler. But what I will say is they need players that can defend because Devin Booker has really struggled with defense so far in his time in the league. T.J. Warren hasn't really improved a bunch on defense. That was one of his main weaknesses coming out of the draft a few years ago. And Marquise Chris is a huge red flag on defense. He has played better throughout the season but they have three long-term pieces in their core that are bad defenders and probably will be bad defenders in their NBA career. So defense is something for them to look for. For the second half of the season to be a success for the Suns, they've got to have a good trade deadline, move at least one of these veterans before February 23rd. P.J. Tucker is obviously the best fit there. They've got to play the youth more. Yes, Marquise Chris started for most of the season, but him and Dragon Bender have really taken a back seat to sometimes when the Suns have tried to really win some games, either when the team has been playing well or they've been playing as a really bad team, it's clear that they are going for a win with the likes of Bledsoe, Chandler, Warren, Booker, Tucker, and so on, really playing a ton of minutes. And the team can't be chasing wins in the second half of the season. And then lastly, Devin Booker has got to get it going. Uh, his shooting percentages have not been that impressive, and he was even worse in his second year than he was in his rookie year. But in his last six games in the month of January, Booker is shooting 51% from the field goal, 54% from three, and averaging 28 points per game. That's not going to hold up over the rest of the month and the rest of the second half, of course. 
But Booker to prove that he is an elite shooter, that he was supposed to be out of the draft, and really turn a corner on what has been a poor season would be a huge success for the Suns and really their cornerstone. Thanks a lot, Cal. And as I said, I left there yesterday really feeling I liked a lot of the things I saw, a lot of the things I saw uh, with Phoenix. They're playing hard. Earl Watson's doing a good job getting those guys to play. They know who they're becoming. They're, they're aggressive and uh, I think they're going to cause problems for people. I don't think they're going to give people uh, nights off very often. Uh, t- one of today's sponsors is Indochino. So Indochino is made to measure suits rather than just having everything you, every shirt and pants, everything you have as a generic uh, off-the-rack suit. And the difference is incredible. Uh, I've been just kind of blown away by the difference in Indochino. First of all, the quality is terrific. And then your choices are endless, customizing from lapels to pleats to jacket liners and more. What you do is you go to Indochino.com. You can choose through all. Of, it's like being in an amazing warehouse of selection and then hundreds of fabrics. And then you choose what you want, and then they take you through this very detailed body measurement of everything from your bicep size to your chest to your obvious waist, the obvious ones and the not-so-obvious, to make sure that you have a made-to-measure suit that is just remarkable. And that's what I have found out so far. I'm a big fan of Indochino and the experience I've had. Four weeks, it arrives, and you've got yourself looking sweet in a made-to-measure suit for just $389. That's right. Any premium Indochino suit is just $389 at Indochino.com when you enter the promo code LOCKED at checkout. That's 50% off the regular price for a made-to-measure premium suit. Shipping is free. So Indochino.com, promo code LOCKED, just $389. Trust me. Check it out. Do the experience see what the difference is, and you'll get it. And as I said earlier, I just threw out a pair of pants last night because it was such a joke compared to my Indochino ones. All right, that is uh, a quick mention of Indochino. Let's find out from Jeff Garcia what's going on with the number two team in the West. The Spurs, they just continue to amaze. Uh, Kawhi Leonard gets better and better. LaMarcus Aldridge may or may not be having another all-star season in a different role with his team. That's going to be a real question mark. But the Spurs, as of... This recording are 31-9. and nine. They're three and a half games back of the Warriors. They're a half game ahead of the Rockets. Uh, they have 17 road wins and just five home losses. Incredible uh, work from Greg Popovich. And Jeff Garcia uh, gives us the latest from Lockdown Spurs. How's it going, NBA fanatics? This is Jeff Garcia out here at Lockdown Spurs, your number one source for all things silver and black, daily podcasts, the latest information, and so much more. Make sure to subscribe to Lockdown Spurs on iTunes, Google Play, and many other platforms. Heading into the 2016-17 season, the number one storyline for the San Antonio Spurs was whether or not they could survive in the post-Tim Duncan era. New faces were brought in, Pau Gasol. New young players were brought in in the draft, for example, DeJounte Murray. So can the Spurs still be the Spurs after Tim Duncan? Short answer is yes and then some. The Spurs are just doing it on the offensive end and the defensive end. On the offensive end, they're ninth currently in the NBA at 106.7 points per game and second in the NBA in defense only allowing 98 points per game opponent points. The Spurs also stand at a current record of 31-9, and and the Spurs are still simply being the Spurs. Other than that, Tony Parker 
is still showing that he's able to get it done despite many thinking that his uh, good days are well behind him. In the last five games, he's averaging 12.8 points per game, shooting 53.7% from the field. And Kawhi Leonard is simply still being Kawhi Leonard. And just when you think he hasn't reached his peak, he shows he can still get more things done on the court for San Antonio. He's elevated his game. He's averaging 24.6 points per game currently. And more importantly, though, he's upped his game in an area, namely free throw. He is shooting a whopping 90% from the free throw line. So he is just one force to be reckoned with uh, for opposing teams facing the San Antonio Spurs. Of course, there's Paul Gasol, who's finally rounding into form, and LaMarcus Aldridge as well, settling in his second year with the silver and black. And I already mentioned him, but Tony Parker is a player that has been playing a lot better than I thought he would heading into this season. As I mentioned, many thought that his best days were behind him. Little did we know that number nine still has a lot left in that tank. I kind of alluded to some of his stats in the last five games, but his overall stats through 31 games, 11.4 points per game. He's shooting a whopping 47.9% from the field, 40.5% from the three-point line. He's dishing out 4.7 assists per game, leading the team, and his turnovers are at 1.4. It's a nice assist-to-turnover ratio. He's doing all of this in about 25.8 minutes per game. And for San Antonio, he is a 4.5 plus. So you got to love that from Tony Parker. And the player that has been, well, less than stellar this season has been Kyle Anderson. Heading into the new season, many looked at him as the uh, next person to break that wall. This was his third season. He's no longer a rookie. He's no longer a sophomore in the NBA. He is now a season pro, quote unquote. But unfortunately for Kyle, he just has not produced when given the minutes. Uh, he His numbers have dropped. Uh, last season, he was averaging 4.5 points per game. This season, he's 2.6 points per game. He's shooting 44.7% from the field, 43% from the three-point line. However, his uh, just production on the court is just uh, just not good. He hesitant. He allows other team uh, opposing teams that is to blow by him on the defensive end. Just hasn't really panned out. You're looking at the rise of a guy like Jonathan Simmons, even the play of the youngster Davis Bertans. Kyle Anderson looks like uh, he's just kind of the odd man out right now. Unfortunately, uh, considering that. I was looking at him. Spurs fans were looking at him as a player to have a breakthrough season. And considering we are at the midseason point, many are asking, are the Spurs sellers or buyers uh, heading uh, into the second half and before the trade deadline? And I'm going to say neither. I think they're waiters. Uh, they're going to wait to see who gets released on the waiver wire over the uh, beginning of the season. They waive guard Nicholas Laprovitola to free up a spot on the roster. The Spurs historically rarely if make some sort of trade at the uh, trade deadline. Uh, so the Spurs tend to wait to see what players get waived. Look for them uh, because of their history to go for a swing player. Usually that's the type of player they look for uh, among the waiver wire. So they're neither sellers or buyers. Would I be surprised if they look to ship Kyle Anderson simply because maybe he's just not producing 
I would not be surprised, but overall, looking at the Spurs to just be waiters. Waiters to see who gets waived and what team releases who. So with the Spurs having an impressive record and a great start to the season, uh, what will be the key to success in the second half? Simply this. Just keep on doing what they're doing. Of course, there's some tweaks that the Spurs need to watch out for, namely complacency. You're seeing the Spurs allow teams to hang in with them, and these are teams that have no business hanging in with the Spurs. They tend to keep uh, their foot off the gas. They allow teams to just run back and close the gap on big leads. Case in point, their embarrassing loss to Milwaukee in San Antonio. And the Spurs simply tend to drop the ball. They don't play full games. They don't play the complete four quarters. So I think complacency needs to be addressed. Maintain that second seed hopefully to get uh, the the home court advantage at least through the first two rounds. And, of course, as always, health. The Spurs may have gotten an influx of young players, but if you really dissect it, their team is still led by veterans. Kawhi Leonard, LaMarcus Aldridge, Manu Ginobili, Tony Parker. Those guys are still there, and though they're not spring chickens, but they are the heart of the team. So you got to watch them, make sure there's no catastrophic injury, uh, especially to a player like Kawhi Leonard. But the Spurs still should be the Spurs in the second half and expect them to still make noise in that postseason, hopefully, and make a run at title number five in their franchise history. This is Jeff Garcia. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at JeffGSpursZone. And please subscribe to Locked on Spurs, your one-stop spot for everything, and I mean everything, San Antonio Spurs. I wonder what it's like to cover the Spurs every day for Jeff. The minute you think something's wrong, you have to pull back and like, no, nothing's ever wrong. Nothing ever really goes wrong uh, if you're covering the Spurs. Must be, must be a unique experience. Uh, the Houston Rockets are very much the story of the Western Conference. As this recording, they are 32 and 11. They've won eight of 10. James Harden, I think, is the NBA MVP. Uh, uh, the, of the league so far, they're better defensively than anyone's giving them credit for. They are clutch. Uh, they are when, when James Harden has you down, you are in a heck of a lot of trouble. They are twenty nine and four when they lead after three. They're twenty seven and two when they lead at the half. Uh, they're scoring one hundred and fifteen a game, and they're allowing one hundred and seven and a half. And people are like, "Oh, they're no, no, no." Their differential seven point three. There's nothing that is anything but rolling with Houston. Ben DuBose does incredible work. He is the uh, host of Locked on Rockets. He had Daryl Morey on the general manager of the Rockets last week if you want to go back and find a, a really good interview. Uh, and here is uh, the latest from Locked on Rockets on our midseason report on Locked on NBA. Hey, everybody. I'm Ben DuBose. I'm the host of Locked on Rockets. I work with Sports Talk 790. That's the official flagship radio station of the Rockets. And, well, I hope you guys are already subscribed to Locked on Rockets because, if not, you're missing a lot of content about a really exciting basketball team. This year for the Rockets, they possibly have the front runners for the Most Valuable Player Award in James Harden, but also Coach of the Year in Mike D'Antoni, Executive of the Year in Daryl Morey, and Sixth Man of the Year in Eric Gordon. So four of your major awards in the NBA, you can make a really strong case that the Rockets have the front runner for all. There's a lot going on with this basketball team, and here at Lockdown Rockets, we are the only daily podcast covering the team on a day-to-day basis. Now, as far as the big storylines, now that we're basically at the halfway point, 
the number one storyline is that, well, the Rockets are a contender, and not a, a lot of us saw that coming. Rockets hit the halfway point at 31-10. and 10. That puts them on pace for winning more than 60 games this season, and even optimistic folks like myself did not see that coming. Going into the year, I thought the upside scenario was winning maybe 50, low 50s, but now the sample size is big enough over half the year gone. The Rockets are this good, and can they beat the Warriors or Cavaliers? Are they at that level? I don't know, but it'd be silly to count them out given how much they've overachieved to this point. And because they've overachieved, where that has an impact going into the trade deadline is that, well, you have to look at yourselves as a contender. And so maybe you'll see Daryl Morey have a little bit more of a sense of urgency because he sees this as a year in James Harden's prime, that the team is going to probably win 60 or more games. So with that as the backdrop, all of a sudden, that puts a little bit more urgency on this particular season for the Rockets. As far as who has been better than I expected, the obvious answer is Eric Gordon. A lot of us saw an MVP year coming from James Harden. He was really good last year, had a chip on his shoulder from not making any of the three All-NBA teams. So really, even though Harden's been out of this world, a lot of us expected that from him. What we did not expect was Eric Gordon signed for just four years, $53 million. That's a cheap contract in the new NBA, guys. We did not expect Eric Gordon to be playing at an almost all-star level, but that's what he is. He's the clear front-runner for six-man of the year. He seems to be the perfect number two to James Harden. He spaces the floor with his shooting, but he also plays well with the ball in his hand, and so he can give Harden some rest. The Rockets are still able to do some things when James Harden is not on the floor. That's a huge upgrade from a year ago when they were terrible in those situations. So to see Eric Gordon at four years, 53 million, step in as a legitimate number two option, that's a huge upside surprise for the Rockets. And if he stays healthy, it's hard not to see him continuing it because, well, this is what we all expected from Eric Gordon four years ago, just a New Orleans awkward fit, a few injuries, and we just forgot about him. But now he's showing why he was regarded as, well, the centerpiece of the Chris Paul trade just a few years ago. Now, as far as who has been less good than expected, obvious answers would be Corey Brewer and KJ McDaniels. Going into this year, you knew the Rockets at the wing spots. I know James Harden's the point guard in name, but for purposes of this conversation, we'll say Harden and Ariza are your starting wings, and then you have Eric Gordon off the bench. You need one more 3 and D guy in Mike D'Antoni's system, and there were hopes that either Corey Brewer would have a back, bounce-back year in a more up-tempo scheme, or maybe K.J. McDaniels, this would be his breakout year. We've heard that finally. Everybody knows how athletic he is. He has all the highlight real dunks. Well, the truth is that neither have delivered. Corey Brewer was poor a year ago, and he hasn't really stepped up that much more this year. His defense has been a little better, but offensively, it's a very rough fit because he can't shoot that well. K.J. McDaniels, he's working on his shot, but it seems pretty clear that Mike D'Antoni doesn't fully trust him. There's a reason why that he can't break into the rotation even as poorly as Corey Brewer has played. So I think it's pretty clear that the Rockets would like to upgrade that spot and have one more 3 and D wing, another shooter. They missed Eric Gordon last week for a couple of games. He missed with a sprained toe, and it was pretty clear that, especially without Gordon, there was an obvious lack of shooters, obvious lack of wings that Mike D'Antoni trusts. So if they could get one more guy to upgrade either Brewer or McDaniels, I think that would be a huge thing for this team. Now, as far as buyers or sellers, they're obviously buyers. 
and the Rockets are a 60-plus win team on pace for at this point. So, yeah, if you can have that kind of a season. By the way, the Rockets as a franchise have never won 60 games in a season in franchise history. So it's a huge deal around here. So, yes, this season has a very heightened sense of urgency. They want to buy. They could use one more wing to upgrade Brewer or McDaniels. They could also potentially use one more big man because Nene, Montrezl Harrell, the guys they have off the bench behind Clint Capella, they're more offense-first players. I think they'd like one more defender. They did negotiate with Donatus Matiunas, who was uh, a plus defensive player when healthy, but those broke down. So I think uh, another wing, potentially another defensive-oriented big, are areas you'll see them prioritize. As far as how the Rockets would get one of those players, I think they'd love to trade Corey Brewer because he still has another year on the books on his contract after this year. They could get that $8 million off their salary cap going forward. I think they would do that in a heartbeat. However, I don't know if Daryl Morey is going to be able to do that. A lot of teams want to prioritize flexibility going to July 2017. I think the more likely route is a package uh, headlined by KJ McDaniels and Tyler Ennis. You can get to 5 or $6 million through those two players alone. But basically, find a team that's not a contender this year that might gamble on the upside of McDaniels and Tyler Ennis. Ennis was a former first-round pick as a point guard. And give you a player that fits more now, so to speak. A good example might be Atlanta and Tabo Cephalosha. We've already seen Atlanta start to tear it down. They traded Corver to the Cavs. They looked at trading Millsap. Cephalosha, very good defender, decent three-point shooter. Does he really fit on an Atlanta team expiring contract that's not really going anywhere this year? Maybe Atlanta would rather gamble on the upside of a Cajun McDaniels, a younger guy, and trade the expiring contract, a veteran like Cephalosha to Houston. That's one example of the type of package I think the Rockets will look at. I did have Daryl Morey on this podcast last week, and he said the Rockets aren't looking at any big deals. I believe him on that because the only way they could make a big deal is to offload one of their salaries which means Gordon, Anderson, Trevor Ariza, and with the Rockets playing as well as they are, I can't see them moving one of their core pieces. And without moving a core piece, there's not really the salaries to get to a major acquisition. So I think you're going to see smaller moves, package some of these guys for depth, and I think a package led by KJ McDaniels is the most likely way to get a deal. Finally, key in the second half of the year to call it a success, hold off the Clippers for the three seed. The Rockets entered the second half of the year three and a half games up on the Clippers, and whether they're the two or the three isn't that big of a deal. Either way, you're looking at the Spurs in the second round in all likelihood. The key is can the Rockets get to the playoffs not on the side of the Golden State Warriors in the Western Conference bracket? Because if they're the two or three seed, you have a clear path to the Western Conference Finals, and if you get there, you'll deal with the Warriors' problem basically when you arrive. And even if you don't beat them, well, it's still a heck of a year for the Rockets to get to the Western Conference Finals. So they have a lead for the three seed. They're on pace to win 60-plus. As long as they can get the two or the three and stay away from the Warriors' other side of the bracket, this season it would be a huge success in Houston. Okay, despite what that sounded like, I did not make Ben record that on a freeway exit with cars buzzing by him. I promise you, uh, that's that's not who I am. I, I did not make him do that. Have you tried a Blue Apron? Because Blue Apron is, is a pretty fabulous concept. Uh, that's changing the way dinners and family meals uh, come together. Like, I mean, spicy shrimp and Korean rice cakes with cabbage is not something that I'm probably cooking every night, or the pork chops with garlic uh, piccata with scallion rice and spinach. Not, But I do now 
because Blue Apron is the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. They're connected with 150 local farms, fisheries, ranches across the U.S. So you get the best of the best. I mean, not all ingredients are the same. Don't kid yourself. And so what Blue Apron's done is allowed the home cooking accessibility to everyone. We do it in the house with the kids. It's a lot of fun. It gives them a great opportunity. Uh, my wife can use it just on a night where it's like, okay, no thought. Let's just bang this together. And she's a great cook to start with, and she still loves uh, Blue Apron. So it's it's really fabulous. It's affordable for less than $10 per person per meal. Blue Apron gives you those seasonal recipes along with pre-proportioned ingredients to make delicious home-cooked meals. Super variety. I just gave you some examples a moment ago. Flexible. You can build your schedule each week what you want. And they give it to you step-by-step step, so even guys like me can do it usually in less than 40 minutes, or right around there. And guaranteed freshness. All ingredients are not the same. Check it out. This week's menu is up there, and you can get three meals for free with the promo code LOCKNBA. No E on that. L-O-C-K-N-B-A. L-O-C-K. NBA, blueapron.com slash lock NBA. You'll love how it feels and tastes to create incredible home cooked meals with Blue Apron. Do it now, blueapron.com slash lock NBA. Well, if we just talk Russell Westbrook, I think by league rules we have to talk, excuse me, if we just talk James Harden, I think by league rules we have to talk Russell Westbrook. Uh, the Thunder continue to amaze. They're in a brutal schedule stretch right now. Fred Katz. Uh, does wonderful work. He's a beat writer for the Norman Transcript and then covers the Thunder. Locked on Thunder is a super show. Has Royce Young on a good deal. Uh, they really do uh, fun stuff. Uh, and the Thunder are rolling. I mean, they, there's nothing fluky again. These teams, it's so admirable. Uh, 25 and 18, uh, they are... Their differential is shrinking a, a little bit because of this brutal schedule. When Steven Adams out, they had a hard time with the Clippers last time. Russell has loaded them up. Cantor's playing well. Well, let's hear. Let's hear. I don't need to tell you all about it. Let's hear from uh, Fred Katz on where the Thunder stand. Hey there, everyone. I'm Fred Katz, host of Locked On Thunder, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Just like everybody else you hear, I'm on every day of the week, Monday through Friday. That's the beauty of Locked On. We're always on. We're always here. Your team every day. We... Well, we kind of mean it. We mean five day, five out of the seven days of the week we mean it. Uh, anyway, let's talk some thunder. First question, what is your number one storyline of the season? Well, I think if you've watched SportsCenter or NBA TV or gone to ESPN.com or gone to NormanTranscript.com, I am the Thunder beat writer for the Norman Transcript, by the way. Uh, you've read the Oklahoman. You've done whatever. I'm plugging my competition's work now. You know the answer is Russell Westbrook. You know the answer is that a guy is going for the first season, averaging a triple-double since Oscar Robertson 50 years ago in 1961-62. Um, it's, it's remarkable watching him play. It's remarkable watching what he's been able to do this year, the numbers he's putting up, the rebounding, the 17 rebound games, uh, the, the, ones, the ones when he comes out and just grabs you know 15 defensive rebounds. Uh, you know People talk about the uncontested ones, but... There's no question, you know, Russell Westbrook is one of the two or three guys, you know, LeBron's going to get some votes, uh, and James Harden is probably the favorite right now. Russell Westbrook's one of the two or three guys in that MVP conversation. Uh, Second up, who is better than you thought and who has been uh, not as good as I expected? Uh, Better than I thought, honestly, in terms of just the numbers, I think Russell Westbrook is probably about the same player as he was. I just didn't expect the triple-double. I really, I really didn't, uh, I didn't expect that to happen. Ennis, Ennis Kanter, I guess, is a contender for this uh, with the way that he's been passing, 
with the way uh, he, he's an even better post player than he was in the past, and, and he was always a great offensive player. He's leading the league in basically every post category if you go on synergy, points per possession, field goal percentage out of the post, the frequency of his possessions in which he's scoring out of the post. Like He's been statistically among the absolute elite post players in the league, and the Thunder is scoring even better when you include passes uh, when you include passes that, that he makes out of the post as well, uh, he's just been fantastic. Um, not quite as good as I thought. I guess maybe I could say Anthony Morrow. I didn't necessarily expect Anthony Morrow to stay in the rotation uh, for the whole season. Last year he went in, he went out of the rotation. But the fact that he's, his shots just haven't necessarily been going in this year, that's his number one value, the three-pointers that he makes, and uh, he's not necessarily making them. And I don't know how much more there is to say about that one. Um, buyers or sellers of the trade deadline. I think the Thunder are in an interesting position because I think they're they're a pretty good team, but they're not necessarily um, they're not a contender. They're not in that upper upper echelon, and they're also super young. So it's not like they're a team that's six, seven, eight, nine games over five hundred. Maybe has a chance of getting lucky and winning a first round series, and the window is closing in a year or two. You know, Russell Westbrook is one of the oldest guys in this rotation. You look at this. I mean, Anthony Morrow is older than him. He doesn't play. Collison's older than him. He doesn't play. I think Singler is marginally older than him. He doesn't play. And Russell Westbrook is is one of the oldest guys there. He's 28 years old. You know, Stephen Adams is, is 24, and Canner's 24, and Robertson's 25, and Sabonis is 20, and you, you go down the line, you know, Payne is 22, this is a bunch of young guys. Oladipo's 24. It's 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 a bunch of young guys who are, who are trying to come together and contribute. Uh, I think if the Thunder can get better, they, they will make a deal that turns them into sellers. But I don't think, just based on what I know, based on past behavior, based on organizational tendencies, I just don't conceive of a scenario in which they're going to compromise their future so that they can get a little bit better now and maybe maybe have a better chance at a five seed than a six seed. That just doesn't seem like it would fit within the organization's you know, historical philosophy, and I don't think that's necessarily going to happen. So number four, who are the Thunder trying to get? What type of player uh, are they trying to get? And what type of player would they be willing to move? I think it's obvious they'd be trying to get a wing, someone who can score, handle the ball, space the floor. Look, the 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 funny thing about this roster is you look at this roster and you think you look at this roster and you think, all right, what are they missing? They're missing a wing who could handle if only they just had a wing who was really good at handling the ball and who could shoot threes, who could place space the floor, and who could play some switchy defense, and all of a sudden this roster is really good. It's too bad they never had a guy like that. And it makes sense. It's not like that's a coincidence. This roster was built to have Kevin Durant on it, and it would be different if Kevin Durant were never there. It was built intentionally with specialists around Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. It's not, That's no coincidence. Uh, but it's it's funny to look at it now and think that's the kind of guy that they could use. Who'd they be willing to move? Maybe Canner in the right deal, but I don't know if that's necessarily going to happen now with the way that he's been playing lately with how important he is to the second unit offense. I don't know if we're going to be able to see that. 
I'm not convinced of it. Um, I, I don't know if they can get back in a trade for him, what he's worth to them now. Cameron Payne's obviously a guy, maybe if a team is really, really high on him, but you'd have to include some salary in order to get somebody decent back in all likelihood because he's still on his rookie deal. Uh, and what's the key to the second half of the season to call this a success? Thunder in the midst of a really tough stretch right now. Stuff's probably going to fall off for a little bit. That's okay. It's expected. They played at a 48-win pace for the first half of the season. If they finish around 45 wins, look, they, they would be one of the first teams ever to lose a superstar of Kevin Durant's caliber and maintain a playoff spot. They'd be like the first team ever to do that. You know, all these other teams, Cleveland, Orlando, they fall off majorly, hard, uh, and they would be one of the first teams to do that. And I think if you're a, really the first team to do that, in league history, that's that's got to be a success right there no matter what happens in the postseason. Thanks for listening, guys. Subscribe to Locked on Thunder on iTunes and wherever else. Find me on Twitter at Fred Katz, and you can see my work on normantranscript.com, or if you live in Norman, you live in Oklahoma, you can even get a subscription to the paper. Appreciate the listen. Enjoy the show. As you can tell, Fred's an incredibly likable guy and does a great job uh, with the Thunder. All right, let's move it down. I think this is the team that ends up being eighth in the Western Conference. I really do. Uh, somehow it hasn't worked out for him. I, I, Anthony Davis, to me, is really inconsistent. That's the one thing I don't like about him. He puts up 40 and then he puts up 21. I think they'd be better off if he just kind of held ground. And that, when I say he's really inconsistent, um, he's just got a huge standard deviation of performance. And if he can narrow that down, I think that would help them out. The injuries, obviously, as well. And I'm talking about the New Orleans Pelicans. Uh, Jake Madison does Locked on Pelicans. Let's see what he has to say. These guys are all, you're, you're learning that all these shows are just fabulous. And he does a nice job. Worth noting, by the way, Pelicans have nine wins this year against above 500 teams, which is more than any of the other teams that are battling uh, for that eight spot in the Western Conference. And I think that is something to keep an eye on. That shows you what they're capable of pulling off. Hi, everyone. I'm Jake Madison, host of Locked On Pelicans here, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, to answer a couple of your burning questions about the New Orleans Pelicans at midseason. Uh, but before I do that, don't forget, you can give the podcast Locked On Pelicans a follow. It's at Locked On Pels on Twitter. I'm also on Twitter at Nola Jake. Don't forget to give me a follow as well. I'm going to just jump right into it here. So what is the number one storyline for the Pelicans so far this season? And to me, that's can Anthony Davis just carry this Pelicans team into the Western Conference playoffs as the number eight seed? Despite, you know, a, a losing, disappointing record uh, of 16 and 25, the Pelicans are only a game and a half back of Portland in the eighth seed. Uh, and they have a chance to do it. Anthony Davis is second in scoring per game with 29.3 points per. He's number six in rebounds per game, number one in blocks per game. This is a guy who any night can go off for 40 and 15. And as long as the Pelicans can get some decent offense around him uh, here and there, they, they could win a couple of games and at least sneak into the playoffs and salvage this season for the Pelicans. Uh, last season, after a, a losing year, after making the playoffs the year before, Davis took 
kind of a step back in terms of his numbers and stats and his impact in the game. And this year, he's come back with a vengeance. And you've seen it night in, night out, 30-plus points, uh, a couple of 40-point games. He's doing what he can to try and carry and will this team towards the playoffs. He wants to win. Will it be enough? We'll find out as the season goes on. Uh, and if they can get some help around him, they certainly might be able to do so. The next question is, who's been better than we thought and who's been worse than we thought? And this was a bit of a tough one. You could actually kind of use the same player to answer both of these, and that's Buddy Heald. But I'm actually going to go with him as the guy who's been better than we thought. Through the first part of the year, up until December 4th, he very much struggled as a rookie, and it looked like the Pelicans took the wrong shooting guard with Jamal Murray going right after him at number 7 overall. But on December 4th, playing in Oklahoma City, kind of a home game, or coming home for uh, Buddy Heald, he started and since then has kind of shown why he was taken six overall by the New Orleans Pelicans. Uh, since that game, he's actually shot 48.4% uh, from three, close to 50%. He was the December rookie of the month, and he's shown a little bit more than just being a pure sharpshooter on offense. He's shown off some decent ball handling skills, the ability to create and at least get to the rim, even though he struggles to finish there. Uh, but overall, he's shown he can make these shots, he can space the court for Anthony Davis, and it shows why the Pelicans decided to go with more experience over the rawer prospect in Jamal Murray to take Heald to contribute right away to try and make their run back to the playoffs. Heald is doing so now. He's playing well. He's making his threes and there's no reason to see that production drop off in the foreseeable future. As for who's been worse, it's undoubtedly going to be Solomon Hill. This was the Pelicans' big money signing this offseason. They gave him a four-year, $48 million deal. And the return on that so far has just been 5.9 points per game along with 3.7 rebounds. And this is a guy who's been in the starting lineup pretty much since day one arriving in New Orleans. Defensively, he's been good. The Pelicans have jumped up to seventh in the league in defensive rating, and he's a large reason for that. But if you're giving a guy that big of a contract, you need him to score. You need someone to be that partner for Anthony Davis that they haven't really had since he's been here in New Orleans, and it doesn't look like Solomon Hill is going to be that guy. He had the great run with the Pacers at the end of last season and into the playoffs. The Pelicans banked on that uh, being the new norm for him, gave him that big $12 million a year deal with a lot of incentives as well. It could climb as high as $52 million, and he just hasn't lived up to it so far. You know, his three-point shooting's gotten a little bit better as the season's going on, but $12 million a year for a guy who's shooting about 33% uh, from deep, uh, especially in the corner threes, that's not exactly what you want. He's not even given them one made three-pointer per game on average. That's a big disappointment. It looks like Solomon Hill uh, is the guy who it, kind of a mix between what he was before that he kind of blew up at the end of last season for the Pacers and what he was before. That's probably not worth $12 million like the Pelicans were banking on, and it doesn't look like he's going to be a difference maker that gets this team back into the playoffs. So are the Pelicans buyers or sellers at the trade deadline? And they are going to most definitely be buyers. They may stand pat, but I can say they're not sellers. And the main reason for that is they just don't really have many assets on this team that people would want. Tyreek Evans is an expiring who's coming off a lot of injuries, only playing limited minutes. Drew Holiday is going to be an expiring contract as well. That's a guy who's going to, you're going to need to max out if you want him on your team. And I think teams might be wary of that. So positions the Pelicans to be buyers, especially with them being close uh, to the eighth seed uh, as of now and where they'll be right around the trade deadline.
as buyers, they're probably going to be looking at a guy they've already been linked to, Paul Millsap in Atlanta. He's a guy that would fit well with Anthony Davis, be a very good big to pair with him. It's going to be a question if they want to pay him, you know, the $130 million it'll take to retain him after the year. That might be a little too rich for them for a guy who's going to be above 30 at that point. But if the Pelicans want to be serious, just playoff contenders, not even championship contenders. They need to make a move that brings in some offense for this team. Their bottom Five offensively in the league this season with Anthony Davis putting those huge numbers up. You've got to get him some help. It might be to move a first-round pick to do so. It's probably worth it for the long term. But if they're out of the playoff race uh, by the trade deadline mid-February, expect them to stand pat. So what would make the second half of the Pelican season a success? And obviously getting into the playoffs, even if you get swept in the first round, would be a success for this team given that they started 0-8. But more than that, if they finish outside of the playoffs, it's finding an offensive identity. Defensively, they're there. They're top 10 in the league. That's been a huge improvement, and that's been a success. Uh, But with Anthony Davis putting up the numbers like I've talked about, you need to get some more offense and some more help there. They've tried going with a small ball lineup, starting Dante Cunningham, Solomon Hill, and Anthony Davis in the front court. They've tried big with with Omer Ashik and Anthony Davis and Terrence Jones and Anthony Davis and the recent signing of Donatus Yunus and Anthony Davis. None of it's worked consistently, so it's finding the style of play that they want to do. Are they the fast-paced team under Alvin Gentry that plays in transition, or do they need to go a little bit bigger and focus on rebounding and be sound in the half court? They've gone back and forth on this all season long, and by the end of the year, you need to have this identity so that if Alvin Gentry and general manager Dell Demps are around next season, they at least have a plan in place, a clear vision of what they want this team to be to go out and execute. Otherwise, they're going to be kind of floundering for the foreseeable future, wasting Anthony Davis's prime and the contract extension he signed. That's not going to be good for anyone. So hopefully they find their offensive identity, know what they need going forward, can get a piece or two for that, and at least start to be a more competitive team next season. So thank you all for listening. Again, I'm Jake Madison at Nola Jake on Twitter. This is Locked On Pelicans, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Give it a uh, subscription on iTunes, Audioboom, wherever it is. And don't forget, you're listening to the Locked On NBA podcast right now, a wonderful resource for just kind of catching up around the league. Don't forget to subscribe to that one as well. Well, thanks for the plug there, Jake. And he doesn't sound to be as optimistic as I am about the Pelicans being the eighth spot. The team most people think are the eighth spot are the Portland Trailblazers. But I'm a little concerned about the Portland Trailblazers and their absolute lack of defense. And uh, it has just been a consistent problem all year long. Uh, for the and, and, and it's not just that there's nights where they don't play defense. There's nights where, I mean, they've had 20 games where their defensive rating is over 110, 15 games of the defensive rating over 115, 7 games of the defensive rating over 120. That, to me, is... Incredible. Let's see what Eric Garcia Gunderson has to say on Locked On Blazers. Hey everyone, it's Eric Garcia Gunderson from Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Uh, we are a, a daily Portland Trail Blazers podcast. We usually go five times a week on the Portland Trail Blazers, and we give you analysis that is covering everything from the X's and O's to uh, having funny basketball people on sometimes we uh do funny things like i'll have my girlfriend on and we'll talk about stuff and it's just kind of a fun podcast i try and really curate a balance between 
you know, the hardcore NBA analysis that I think a lot of fans want with lots of analytics, lots of close watching of the game, film study, all that stuff. But we also like to have fun with it and, and make sure that uh, we remember that it's sports and that's fun. And that's part of the NBA. The NBA is uh, the funnest league in the world. So you you got to have fun with it and goof off sometimes. So that's what we try to do on Lockdown Blazers and uh, really, really having fun with it. I have uh, Dane Carbaugh co-host with me sometimes from NBC's Pro Basketball Talk and lots of other guests, so you should definitely come and check it out. But on to the midseason report. Uh, the number one storyline for the Blazers this season, uh, as they stand 18-25, and 25, 43 games into the season, and they are tied right now for the eighth seed in the West, but they are about eight and a half. They're, they're several games back of uh, the other teams in that playoff picture the Memphises, Oklahoma Cities, they're about seven and a half games out of that. So my number one storyline as to why the Blazers are there, I think, is Al Farouk Aminu. Uh, and it, 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 it goes two ways. Aminu has missed 19 games this season due to injury. He's their best defensive player. This season was built on moving him to power forward and changing their starting lineup and going to that full-time, a look that was really strong for them and helped them finish the regular season strong, help them against the Clippers, and help them put up a fight against the Warriors in last year's playoffs, but he hasn't been healthy this season. And also, when he has been healthy, he just hasn't been quite as effective offensively. Last year, he really provided spacing. He was really a true 3-and-D guy. And uh, maybe some of us should have seen this coming. I I, I thought this was one of my biggest fears heading into the season was would Aminu be able to shoot? Because prior to last season, he'd only shot above 31% from three once in his career for a season. Last year, he shot 36%, and this year it is back down to below 26%, which is about where most of his seasons have been as a professional. And he's also shooting poorly from the field overall. So uh, Al Farouk Aminu, to me, and uh, has been the story, both his injury and the fact that when he has been healthy, he just hasn't provided the same spacing and hasn't knocked down shots in the same way as he did last year. But he is back now. Uh, and another uh, storyline I'd like to throw out there, uh, honorable mention for this is Ed Davis. He just hasn't been quite the same player as he was last year as a beast on the offensive glass and really a, a game changer off the bench. He's just hasn't been the same player. So uh, moving on, to the player that I thought is better than I thought and the player who's been worse than I thought. The player who's been better than I thought has been Maurice Harkless. He's been pretty durable. He missed the game against Orlando last week, but he's shooting the ball surprisingly well from three. I believe he's shooting 36%. And then Crab, I've just been a little disappointed in, in his defense. I feel like his growth stagnated a little bit. I feel like he hasn't – I feel like for most of the season he hadn't taken that next step. I feel like lately he's played much better. And he's, he's shooting well from three. He's shooting even better from three this year than he did last year. But his defense to me, it just hadn't, didn't seem like it was the same intensity as it was last year. Uh, I, I was a little disappointed in crap earlier in the season, but he has been playing better as of late. So, uh, that's an overall season review. Uh, still, crab hasn't necessarily won me over from the, the feelings that I had about him being good heading into the season. Cause I thought he was really worth that offer sheet from the Brooklyn Nets. So are the Blazers buyers or sellers of the trade deadline? I would say that they are probably sellers, if anything, if they can move one of their guys that's on a, a longer-term deal uh, I, I, and, and maybe package him together for some something that they may need more of, whether it's a, a big man who could protect the paint a little bit more, uh, something of that nature. 
I, I think that they would do that. They've already been active. I think the best word to use for the Blazers is active because they will be acqui- they will be trying to acquire assets in some form. They already got a 2017 draft pick from the Cleveland Cavaliers uh, in the Kyle Korver trade, so they're active. They're trying to stockpile assets. That's old Shea's thing. He he picks up little pieces and tries to pack the gem together for something big. I don't necessarily think that that something big is going to come, but I think the Blazers will be active on the market uh, because uh, they they need to acquire assets to kind of help get them out of this because they've struggled. They're capped out. They they have signed a lot of money uh, to these f- guys that were free agents last year. So um, maybe buying is probably not the right word for the Blazers, but I think active is is definitely the right word. So I think you'll you'll probably hear a lot about the Blazers. That's 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 my guess. You'll be hearing a, they'll be active in this trade market. Uh, and I think if they were to move someone, I think a guy that they would ultimately end up moving is Alan Crabb because unlike Evan Turner, Crabb can really fit into the context of any modern offense for the most part. And I think he would really get a good return. I know I've been hard on him for his season and I said he was disappointed in how he's played, but Crabb, uh, really shoots the ball well. And I think when Damian Lillard was out and he was getting lots of minutes, he really showed you the type of defender he could be guarding DeMar DeRozan for the whole game, guarding the best offensive player for other teams for the whole game and still, uh, being a really solid player. And I, and I think that that it, it would be enticing to teams. And I think he could get you a good return, especially if you could package it maybe with, with some of those picks. Uh, I am, probably in the minority these days i think retooling about damien retooling around damien Lillard and cj mccollum one more time i think that's what i want to see i want to see them do it one more time i want to see them try it again and and, and see if they can do something better because mccollum's four-year extension has yet to kick in and i think they still have a lot of time uh before they have to really cross that bridge where they can still get value from column if they decide they have to go that way and at this point at mid-season uh my answer for what would make this season a success is different than it would be at the start of the season. I think right now making the playoffs would be a success at this point at 18 and 25. I just think given uh, the setbacks and all the stuff they've had, they still need to make the playoffs because I think they still need to have some kind of positive thing to look at for this season. And if they don't have any positive, it's going to be hard to move forward as a franchise, I think, and it would be really hard uh, for the growth of this team. Obviously, that happens. Sometimes you do have growing pains where you don't make it as far as you think, but I think at this point in the season, making the playoffs would make the season a success. So uh, that's the Portland Trail Blazers midseason report from Eric Garcia-Gunderson, host of Lockdown Blazers. Be sure to check us out on iTunes, Stitcher, Audio Boom, Google Play, wherever you can get a podcast, and we will be there talking about the Blazers all throughout the season and into the offseason. So thanks for listening. Well, that wraps up today's edition of Locked on NBA. Thanks to Blue Apron. Lock NBA is your promo code for three uh, free meals. That's Lock, no E, NBA. And Indochino, Locked, is your promo code for Indochino. To, uh, later this week, Thursday morning probably, Clippers, Lakers, Kings, Grizzlies, Jazz, Wolves, Nuggets, and Mavericks all coming your way on the midseason report on Locked on NBA. Next week, George Carl and hopefully the coach returns. That's the plan of Locked on NBA, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Support for this podcast comes from NetSuite. NetSuite lets you see what's going on with your business in real time, from accounting to order management and much more. You've outgrown your business management software. Let NetSuite help. Go to netsuite.com slash podcast to get your free guide and find out why NetSuite is a leading business management solution for growing companies.
Get up and running fast with NetSuite.